every time I take a breath, you laugh. I'm sorry. Because you're, like, trying to get ready. You sound like a paper towel dispenser. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Audiobook by the Author, reading The Red Disease, book one of the Cerulean Blue series. Today, I'm here to do chapter four with my brother, Eli Hostetler. You can say hi now. Yeah, I was going to try to think of something witty with the hi, I guess. I'll I figured start. it's because I told you not to talk, so you're yeah, still following yeah, the rules. I'll just wait. I'll listen this time. So we are recording this, you know, earlier in the week, but by the time this comes out on Saturday, October 16th, it'll be Fran's birthday. Yeah. It was on last week, and we just want to say hi, happy birthday. All right, so. It's Fran's fucking birthday. So last week with Fran. She read chapter three, and that was uh, from the point of view of Benel, who is finally leaving Ken after more than 12 or 12 years. Um, Could you say she's a little vanilla? Dude, for real, though. Has anyone made that joke yet? <laughs> no. Okay, good. <laughs> I've been holding that for so long. She kind of is. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, so last week with Fran, we had a, you know, back to our first chapter characters, and now this one for four we are still in the same time frame that chapters two and three took place in june 1849 but again we're at a vastly different location with a different character so this is the first time we're introduced to minor ty silver star the first time we're introduced to the godsmores the godsmorian race and all of the issues that and fucking nalos and all the issues that they're dealing with there um and consequently some of them are things that the Rodals have caused that we haven't mm-hmm. heard of yet, there they are, causing more issues. On this episode of Rodals Fucked Everything Up, we have it's like, genocide. It's like keeping up with the Kardashians, but evil. Or... So it's, it's like keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> Except... So Eli, yeah. tell me what you think about this introduction to the Godsmorians and the Godsmores. Um, I believe Chapter 3, a, a good release of emotions from Vanel. And getting out of physically removing herself from a lot of traumatic stuff. Mm. And it's almost like she's on the upswing or, you know, the upward curve of things getting better. Um, The only person she isn't going to interact with is Ash now. At least we can imply that from, you know, she's met two other characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's been years that she's been in the same city that got flooded and her parents died. And there's a lot of bodies and stuff. I would imagine it's not really the nicest place to be. Um, especially for someone in a developing age. Mm. Um, and then, I don't know, it kind of takes a turn from um, more positive things happening to Vanel to um, Minor Ty. And Minor Ty is like, man, I suck at everything. <laughs> um, and this just sucks right now for everybody. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of a shift there from becoming yeah, more hey, positive things to... Things are getting better to... Things to... are getting worse. So I just kind of like the way that those all fit into each other. Um, Minor Ties chapter, when I first read it, left me with wanting to get back to it. Yeah. Um, other people's, I was like, okay, I'm getting introduced to them. This is my first time seeing them. But Minor Ties chapter, I was like, man, this seems like the most down-to-earth guy. Um, no pun intended there. Ah. Um, and then, um, <laughs> later on. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, yeah, it ends with a cliffhanger. Um, the other chapters, you know, do end with stuff that makes you want to get back to that person's pov but his was a lot more instantaneous like something's happening in that moment yeah as opposed to other people are like building up to something i also think um so you know 
you know of the, some other you know socio-political issues and you know sad traumas for characters happening in other yeah. chapters but this one i think kind of really opens up a lot of the lore of yeah to where you know the other ones are it's a little more event and character based where this is finally your first introduction to a culture a religion um that are you know dealing with the consequences of things that are happening elsewhere on kind of a bigger scale even yeah um it's really good for world building uh because what you just said and because it's the introduction to the um only magic system that's Mm -hmm. really in your series so far i'm not gonna say the only one yeah yeah yeah. so it kind of introduces the idea of the deep and of the earth itself being magical and drawing magic from that and nature um and all magic in the world is pretty druidic in nature Mm um i keep using the word nature um it's it's natural in its nature yeah yeah it is (laughs) So um, something I did want to touch on because I think it is often anytime there's, you know, some kind of fantasy druidic culture like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. that's, you know, they're all connected to the earth. They know how it actually works. They're almost kind of held up on a pedestal of having that knowledge and, you know, being above everybody else. Kind of like elves. And sure. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Like just, um you know, on a different godlike plane yeah. than other mortals. But we are introduced to Minor Ty, the matricider, um, who his constellation kind of foretells that he kills or is responsible for the death of his mother. And we know that that happens when she gives birth to him. So it has nothing to do with his personality or anything he actually did. But he also fulfilled his destiny of that name. So that is a very strong cultural thing for the gods Morians is they think your name, your constellation is your destiny. Mm-hmm. So you get somebody like Nalos, a noble warrior, who is on fucking the top of the food chain. Yeah, and Minor Ties kind of the shit. Yeah, because, and you know, they Not don't know the what it is. He's <laughs> just the and bottom. He's in the shit. Yeah, he's in the shitter. And, you know, you and nobody knows, like, what actually happened. He was just, his mother died on childbirth with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing he actually did he didn't you know show no cruelty or violence or whatever awful thing um but that's the negative aspect of that culture that is clinging to that sense of destiny it's almost um a self-fulfilling prophecy in this case exactly. specifically mm-hmm. um, because then the rest of the culture is like oh if this is what this person's going to be then you have all of your people everyone you're living around either supporting you or telling mm-hmm. you what you are going to be so you almost have a path set for life that um, they can almost help set you up um, like I'm sure Nalos got a little more um, attention when it came to militaristic training and strategies and stuff well, and imagine and, his confidence too yeah like, yeah whereas yeah. someone like Minor Tai um, kind of like what he says before he met uh, Sae is um, he was like what the fuck do I do like, no, nobody I, saw him they just saw oh He's like this bottom cast of society. Yeah, like, ah, oh, he killed his mom. Yeah. And, like, that's all it is now. Like, his story's over. Um, which is really funny because the story is really just fucking beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I always thought that was pretty interesting with him that everyone else is like, a destiny to live out and fulfill. I'm really interested to see where Nalos's is going to go. Um, yeah. Because the way it is now is I'm sure he thinks he's already living it. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, Minor Ty doesn't have a destiny, so he... Although he hasn't realized yeah, that he has that like, freedom yet. Yeah, he com- he completed the goal already. Almost, yeah. If we can state that. Yeah, but, so now he's doing so free play. And he's yeah. like, 
<laughs> well, great. <laughs> right. um, now what? Yeah, main quest is over. It's all side quests from yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know it's still pretty early in the book, but the whole issue um, with the gods Morians and everything happening to them um, is new to us because Vanel has no way of knowing that. Um, she and Ash mm, were yeah. very young, and they were in kin. You know, their whole lives just got out of it. Um, and uh, Ronix's POV, I believe, doesn't mention anything about Gods Morians either. No. So it almost They have their seems... own issues to where they're not even fucking focused yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. It almost, um, the focus in the first three chapters of the book, you would assume has something to do with the red, and mm-hmm. oh, there's, you know, the red disease going on, that's the title of the book. And then um, chapter four, um, the Gods Morians get introduced, and it's almost like... And this may be a little presumptive that the rest of the world doesn't care as much about their issue going on, which you can draw real world, real world connections to that of like this genocide and um, destruction of a culture is going on on the side mm-hmm. and other people are too caught up in their own stuff to notice or do something about it because they're like, well, yeah, that's them. But, you know, um, our city's flooded and we got a red disease mm-hmm. and stuff, which isn't to take away from the other characters. It's just saying, mm-hmm. like, it's very uh, brushed under the table. Like, it's stuff to do with mercenaries and not with the actual government itself, even though the government does have something to do they with it. They still made the decisions. Yeah, and they did. I gotta but... tell you a secret right now. Okay. I did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had a feeling, I just didn't want to be too presumptive. But, no, um, that is exactly. I liked yeah. that, is mm-hmm. that, like, if. And this doesn't happen in chapter five, guys. This isn't a spoiler. But if um, a God's Morian just ran right into Vanel in the next chapter, she'd be like, what the fuck are you and where are you from and so, what's going on? Yeah, so they do have knowledge of them as a race, but they're not necessarily, like, know anything that's going on with them. Or, yeah. you know, and like you said, everybody's too preoccupied with their own issues and things that are put more at the forefront because, you know, as we do kind of get to see the inside of the crown um, later on, they don't talk about the Godsmores either. Mm-hmm. That is so far down their it's list. Old news. Yeah, or or it's just um, it's, it's a fucking cow that they're over milking. You know, they're just using that, draining it dry. It's just a commodity at that point. It's not people. Yeah. Um, and to where that's not, yeah, that's not the focus for them at all. And it's just you finally get a lens on it to see the actual death and pain and. And it's even more than that when you start losing culture and history, yeah. too. That's like, like that, such, that it's note... such a deeper loss. And I mean, I don't want to like compare trauma, but yeah, that that's something that most of us don't understand. The the side note for minor tie, <laughs> yeah, no shit. The uh, the side note for minor tie, um, I feel like really sends that home of like him and his people don't know the last time a minor tie was born yeah and he's over a hundred years old well, and, and his brother's even older yeah what's her face is even older and then there's the elders but even then like that history is lost mm-hmm. now because they've been removed from their ancestral home that yeah. they were at for so long they talk about the children being born that have never been there yeah you know they can only hear it secondhand they've never experienced it firsthand they talk about the records being destroyed all of these like grand cities that they haven't been to in three decades that like all of that stuff yeah. fades to um not history like a storytelling a fantasy mm-hmm. world that's not um it doesn't seem real to them anymore yeah chapter four the mattress cider june 1849 tiver reservation vale Hutton. 
The fog was beginning to roll in. Minor Ty inhaled deeply and fixed his gaze, then exhaled slowly. The black wood was smooth under his fingertips as he methodically drew them down the length of the arrow until his hand was fixed at ear level. The lion was completely unsuspecting. Minor Ty could tell by its sluggish movement and taut skin over its bones that it was nearly starved to death. The poor creature was probably one of its last of its kind, the white lions of the godsmores. The maneless, white-coated cats had once shared their homeland with this people. At one time, their mutually respected kin. Now as food grew sparse for both with the loss of their homes, each became prey for the other. This should be an easy kill. The valley grew dark as the clouds blocked out the remaining sunlight. He let his arrow fly, his aim straight to the animal's heart. The arrow noisily clattered against the rocks behind the lion. He misjudged the distance to his target again. The animal quickly darted away into the thick vapor and vanished from Minor Ty's sight. He rubbed his eyes and angrily cursed at himself under his breath. Two days of traveling this far into the land of mist had proven futile, and he would have to return to camp empty-handed. He only had three arrows left in his quiver, and they would not be enough to defend himself if he had the misfortune of running into any mercenaries. The only other weapon he carried was a small flaying knife that had yet to be used, seeing that he had never made a kill. It was difficult to see the stars through the heavy fog, yet Minor Tai could sense the pull of his namesake constellation from the east. He slung his bow over his shoulder and began to traverse the slick rocks that lined the path of his way back to the camp. All the people of God's Morse had patterns of white or silver speckles across their faces that matched a constellation, and it was from those patterns that they received their names. The large triangular pattern across his own was that of Minor Tai, the matricider. It was an ancient yet easily distinguishable pattern that no one had been born with for generations. While it was impossible to know exactly how long it had been since a minor tie had been born, as the records and histories were all destroyed when Greth mercenaries sacked Valvendel, he knew that he was the only one since his people had lost the gods' morse. Minor tie had traveled far beyond Tiber in his younger days. He had been to the capital as a child with his father, and he had been to the border of Zisnanka more recently with his brother, Nalos. The people of Valehutin outside of Tiver were always in such a rush. Their decisions and emotions were so rash, as they lacked the vision for long-term consequences. Now he feared that he and his people would have to live like them or die. Even after only three decades away from their sacred land, his people's lives grew shorter, the stars across their faces became sparser and less clear in the meaning with each generation. These were children born that had never known the gods' morse. They were forgetting the old ways, the ancient deep flow of life and power that constantly courses within the earth, that all but his people had forgotten was as strong as ever, but he could only just feel its constant beckon. He had been too far from the gods morse for too long. The people of Valehutin that studied the old ways and tried to use the earth's power from itself never succeeded. His people were the only ones that understood. The people of Valehutin could not be taught, for they only tightened the purity of the cycle. He feared that the only way for his people to regain balance would be to regain their land, but it was becoming increasingly apparent that if too much time passed, their connection would be severed forever. His race would be lost to the world. He could still remember how Tiver had been 30 years ago. He could still remember how Tiver had been 30 years ago, before the Radals allowed the Greth to overrun their home. The southern lands of the gods' moors were blanketed with meadows, rolling hills, and small creeks that trickle across the lands from waterfalls spilling over to the surrounding mountains. Mist from the northern shore settled into the valleys every evening and lingered throughout the morning. 
fields of purple, yellow, and orange wildflowers turned into woodlands of pine and sequoia as the land elevated to the crags, which surrounded the sacred god's horse to the west, east, and south. He could still smell the life in the air when he recalled those days. He clung to his memory of that tiger, though he knew well enough the lands of his ancestors were no longer an idyllic sanctuary for his people. Black smoke rose from the west, from within the heart of the god's horse. The land was overrun with the scarlet-skinned, reptilian, Tuagan native Greth and their primitive forges, fueled by fire and blood. They had arrived during the reign of Saray Radal, and it continued to multiply during his son's reign, though less regulated by the crown. They were a violent race, always focused on blood and conquest. They had no regard for life or sustainability. It was no wonder the elders sadly proclaimed that they could no longer hear the world's voice, for it was drowned out by screaming and weeping. The Greth were killing the land. He recalled the fear and confusion they faced when Radal's soldiers and Greth arrived to remove them from their homes. Rumors had reached the Tiber that the gods Morians were being uprooted by the Tuagan mercenaries in the north and east, close to the border. But to see them at the center of their hollowed ground was demoralizing. Resistance was met with violence, and his people were not a violent race. Even the strongest among them were nothing compared to the bloodthirsty mercenaries. Their long era of peace had made them complacent. They had only two days to pack their belongings before they were led in caravans to the sanctioned reservation in the south, which was a high desert of desolate land. The terrain was rocky, and the floor was nothing but sagebrush and juniper. So far, their attempts to renew their agriculture had been fruitless, and as the years went on, they became more and more isolated to the reservation itself. It was dangerous to venture off alone with Greth crawling around every crevice. Even now, Minor Tai felt fear and adrenaline pumping through his body when he thought of those hellish, yellow, bulging eyes and mouths full of long, pointed teeth. He had been born in Cirrus over a hundred years ago, though his memory in the city was not as clear as that of Tiber. It was an ancient, wealthy city carved into the side of the crags. The buildings and roads were part of the mountain itself. He remembered his father, an aging war hero with sad eyes, and how even a child Nelos followed exactly in his footsteps. His paternal aunt and uncle lived with his family at their riverside home. He remembered seeing them much more than he saw either his father or brother. Minor Tai was still a child when his father died. The old soldier had let go of a life long before his body followed. Nelos was never the same after their father was gone. The boy was forced to become a man with far too much resentment locked in his heart. Nelos, the noble warrior, his brother's path was one of both honor and glory, named for one of the greatest ancient heroes of the gods' wars. He always walked with his head raised high and his chest held out broadly. Nalos was born with such skill that it crackled like lightning through his soul. Everyone was drawn to his radiance. His bright, blue-green eyes were the only thing that outshone his perfect, glittering smile. Women swooned over his muscled arms and long, wavy, white-blonde hair. But he had yet to take a wife, even though his centennial year had already come and gone. He was fortunate to reach the border of the reservation without being usurped by any mercenaries. He had not seen any sign of the beasts. It was only a few more miles to his village from the boundary line. There were still remnants of those that lived so close to the edge of the reservation, old fire pits and tent stakes, but they had been the first to be killed when the raids began. Now their makeshift tent village was set a mile in and surrounded by warriors and sentries on every side. Ten years ago, when he had just become a young man, 
He had his one success as a warrior when he saved a woman from three Greth mercenaries. He had no weapon with him, for during an earlier fight, a huge Greth had wrestled his sword from his hand and he was forced to flee. In mid-flight, the woman's screams reached his ears as a Greth tossed her over its shoulder. Two others nearby argued about killing her on the spot since she wasn't young enough to be sold into slavery. Minor Ty picked up a rock that was a little larger than his closed fist and sprang into action. He slammed the rock onto one of the Greth's kneecaps. The Greth shrieked and dropped the woman as all three of the mercenaries turned to him. He smashed in the Greth's other kneecap and then quickly rolled out of the way of the second one's massive club. He wasn't even thinking anymore. He was just reacting. He tackled the Greth with the club, tore off the creature's helmet, and smashed the rock into its face. The third one was the biggest of them all, and it picked up Minor Tai by the neck while baring its yellowed, needle-like fangs. Its breath smelled like rotting flesh, and Minor Tai felt himself growing dizzy from either the smell or the lack of air. The creature continued to curse him into Wagen. With his last ounce of strength, Minor Tai lifted his hand that held the rock and forced it into the Greth's mouth, breaking off most of its needle-like teeth and causing it to release his throat. Minor Tai gasped for air as he fumbled around on the ground, trying to find the rock before the Greth regained itself to finish him off. His hands instead found a rope. The Greth was still writhing in pain, next to its unconscious comrade with the broken knees. Minor Tai looped the rope around its neck and strangled the beast to death. He had sat back to catch his breath for a moment. He had almost completely forgotten about the woman until he heard the crack of the kneecapped Greth's head splitting open when she struck it with a heavy wooden shield. She pulled Minor Tai into an embrace, but didn't say anything. He remembered that she smelled like the purple flowers that used to bloom on the gods' moors during the late summer. Her hair was soft and brown, and the shape of Saya the lover sparkled across her cheeks beneath her gentle, lilac eyes. He felt his mouth curve into a smile as he walked. Just the thought of her made him smile. Nalos had taunted him for marrying her, since she was not only widowed, but also nearly half a century his senior. Saya was wise and reserved, but she could still always manage to surprise him. He had never known someone to be both so tender and so fierce. Delicate lines from years of laughter around her mouth and eyes only made her more beautiful. Saya's entire body radiated her beautiful soul. He could listen forever to her voice, tell him about her childhood, her home, and about all her hopes and dreams for the two of them. The thought of her honey-colored skin sliding under his palms and that husky tone her voice always got in bed was enough to make his face flush, even though he was alone. She was at home now, waiting for him, ready to greet him with a kiss. Minor Tai passed the line of sentries. He heard one of them chuckle to the others about how he was returning empty-handed again. A funeral was being held as evening turned to night. Someone named Aure had died, for the pyre burned to the north under the constellation of the Great Bird of the Morning. A fever had broken out among the children on the reservation, and many of them were laid out under the stars and hoped the earth might spare their life. Their families sat around them, crying and praying. The candle inside Nalas' tent was still burning. Minor Tai guessed his new favorite girl was paying him a visit. Saya was waiting outside their tent for him, watching the sunset. She turned as she heard him approach. She smiled, but he could see the tears in her eyes. She held a small woven doll meant for a child. My niece, she began, but her voice trailed into quiet sobs. Minor Tai dropped his bow and quiver and took his wife into his arms. He inhaled her scent deeply and felt her warmth against him. He wanted to comfort her, but just to hold her made his heart swell with such happiness that nothing seemed sad anymore. Saya's brother and niece were only living relatives, and the child had fallen ill not three days before. 
Her brother had been badly wounded during a recent raid and had still not begun to recover. Minertai knew the blows of losing your loved ones did not lessen with each added on, but it was sadly almost expected to lose someone you knew every day. Their race was dwindling. Minertai's aunt and uncle had both died on the journey to the reservation. Nalos has been forced to care for him until he came of age. But all those tears and all the bitterness were lost as he lay down next to Saya and caressed her lips with his own. She shuddered under his touch and brushed her fingers through his hair. There was something to live for, even if they lost everything. Love. From that first day, he found some untapped power in his soul to save her. And for every day after, he knew that she was the greatest meaning to life that he had ever found. Years of being shunned for the marks across his face, years of feeling underlying hatred of his father and brother for when his mother was forced to trade her life so that he might live, years of constant struggles and failures to overcome the slightest of life's obstacles. Nothing mattered. She knew him, understood him, and still loved him. Saya had shown him love, and his heart had changed forever. Mourning always brought reality back to his mind. Saya was with him, under his arm, naked except for the sheet that she had wrapped herself in. He lay there for a while, letting her sleep and remain in a better place. The sounds of the village grew louder as the sun rose higher. There used to be many voices, some just talking, some laughing, and there had been sounds of children playing. Now there were only stern conversations met by weeping and pleas to the deep earth. He kissed Saya, and her eyes fluttered open, but they were still heavy with sleep. He told her to stay in bed, then got up and dressed himself. He stepped outside to find Nalos and the other warriors sitting with the remaining elders. We won't make it through another season with what's left of the reserves compared to our daily intake. A party will have to venture further south than we've ever gone in hopes of bringing back enough food and supplies. Whether it be by trade or sword, it has to be done, Nalos argued with the other captains. We can't leave our people so vulnerable, the last female elder replied. There hasn't been a raid in months. We haven't even seen mercenaries anywhere near the border. We'll leave enough men to defend the village, but it will still take many of us to be successful on this trek, said Nalos. The other two elders exchanged glances before lifting their heads and nodding in approval. The female elder looked down dismally and muttered something to herself. Good, we leave today, Nalos shouted to the warriors before taking off to supply himself with weapons. The warriors dispersed, leaving the elders sitting by the fire alone. All three sat with their arms folded and were looking older every day. The woman saw Minor Tai passing. Your brother grows more reckless. Minor Tai stopped and let his shoulders drop. He ran his hand through his hair before taking a seat across from the elders. Who is he leaving behind? Will it really be enough to protect us if the mercenaries come? He's taking twenty of the best warriors, the bearded elder replied. He coughed harshly. Other soldiers and the sentries will remain, and arms will be given to every able-bodied man and woman left. He began to cough again, though this time there was no reprieve, until a healer hurried over to give him a cup of soothing nectar. Maybe if you and the other useless young men brought back a kill when you ventured out, we wouldn't have to be in such a sorry state. Matricider, the other male elder, cursed at him. Minor Tide didn't respond. He stood and left the fire. He found where the warriors were gathering to prepare for their journey. They were taking all the remaining horses in the village. Wives and mothers embraced their husbands and sons before they readied their steeds. Nalos stood at the head of the crowd like a proverbial hero. One hand was on his long sword, and the other held his silver helmet. 
A green and blue cloak was draped over his engraved silver armor that had once belonged to their father. Nalos! Minor Tai called out to his brother. Nalos clapped his hand on Minor Tai's shoulder and led him aside. You don't think you're coming with us, he said in a lowered voice. Minor Tai felt the sting of his words deeply. No, I didn't. But do you really think this is best? There won't be enough of us left if the mercenaries come. Look at us, we're dying by the moment. You think I don't see that? Nalos snapped at him. Why do you think I'm doing this? We're all going to starve to death in a matter of months if nothing is done. I'm taking action. What the hell have you done to help? Just go back to your crone of a woman and leave the bigger matters to us. Nalos put on his helmet and turned his back on his brother, his cloak fluttering behind him magnificently. In a daze, Minor Tai wandered back to his tent. He took off his boots in silence as to not wake his wife, and he sat down on the bed. It wasn't even anything his brother said to him. Not even the elder's words hurt him anymore. He just had a deep, awful feeling that Nalos was making a terrible mistake. He worriedly began to wonder if he and Saya would be better off abandoning their dying people and trying to make a living elsewhere. All he wanted was her anyway. Saya was awakened by the thundering noise of twenty-one horses leaving the village. What's happening? she asked, startled. Nalos is taking twenty best men out scouting. Minor Tai ran his hand through his hair. We're not going to make it here. I don't know where we would go, but I think we should leave the reservation. Saya frowned. My brother is here. If he starts to get better, he'll need me. He's not going to get better, Minor Tai slipped without thinking. Saya's eyes flashed with anger, and her hands balled into fists. How dare you say something like that? Don't you have any hope at all, Minor Tai? We can't just abandon everyone and think our problems will go away. No matter where we go, we'll be persecuted for our stars. Our place is here, with our people. It's over, Saya. Our ways, our race, it's all over. We have to save ourselves somehow. Saya shoved him back. Our place is here, until the end. She shook her head and stormed out of the tent. Minor Tai began to cry and put his face in his hands. He couldn't leave her. If she wouldn't come with him, he would stay here with her until they and everyone they knew were dead. If she wanted to stay and watch the race's demise, he would stay with her and hold her. She was all he wanted, after all. Saya still hadn't come back by nightfall. He had never made her this angry before. He knew she was sitting with her brother in the sick tent, but he still knew better than to go after her until she was ready. Minor Tai put the last of his sweet leaf into his wooden pipe, the only thing he inherited from his uncle. He lay back under the night sky and inhaled the smoke. His uncle had taught him how to blow rings of smoke when he exhaled. The rings expanded until they disappeared against the canvas of the stars. He lay facing southeast underneath Saya's constellation. It was his favorite this time of year, in the late summer, when he could see her rise over him. Soon, he would go to bed and find her there. They would make up and make love. But then the centuries began to shift. Eli, you made it through the chapter. I, I think fucking slayed that. <laughs> I shit. think it was in record time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I sped run the chapter. What's up, Jonah? When's Jonah doing his chapter? Uh, I think Jonah's next week, actually. Oh boy, yeah, seven days, yeah. buddy, seven days. Uh, Jonah's gonna be reading uh, the first Ash chapter, actually. What an asshole! <laughs> it was right there. I had to actually. Um, so the other day I was uh, listening to the episode with Fran because I was just making sure all the editing went correctly and I was calling the boys in to do something and I straight up called Eddie Ash 
I'm not oh, that's even mean. shitting you. I stopped and I that's was like, mean. oh no, how did that come out? And not I was him. Like, no, my poor child. I'm so sorry. To He's one of the gooder Call boys. you a cursed name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so about the cursed name, I've been playing. This is for the the gamer nerds out there. I don't know if it's faithful. I've been playing uh quite a bit of Dark Souls recently, and Jonah and I just started an online run together. And um, if no one's played Dark Souls, you die a fucking lot. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to give my character a name that I really like because this dude's going to die a lot. So I just named him Ash. And I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to die infinite times and not feel bad about it. Uh, one of my favorite things about actually having this out to the public now is kind of getting this, like... This shit ab- on Ash. Getting this shit on him, like, seriously, like... And, and just um, making sure that people come across the way I want them to. Because, yeah. you know, I don't want him to be, like, a tortured, redeemable soul like Zuko, you know? Yeah, or, like... like or something like that. Like, if I ever write, If yeah. I ever write my shit, like, my D&D character, but I, I don't... That transcript's gonna take to fucking ever <laughs> to put a campaign into a book, so we'll, we'll wait for that shit. But, um, yeah, like Zuko. You know where Zuko starts off really edgelord? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel but like... he's still, like, bad boy. Oh, like, you feel bad for him. <laughs> Zuko's but... like the best example though, because like, Cause he's amazing. it's good. Yeah, and he's amazing. I was about to say Sasuke, but like Sasuke's just kind of too edge lord and too asshole. Also. Yeah, Sasuke does suck. Like more. But do you like, know how many fangirls he has? A lot. Yeah, but he's also not like traumatizing people as much. Yeah, he's just kind of an asshole. And Naruto's like, man, I can't let go of this dude. But, like, like I will say, like if this ever uh, kind of takes off. Like, if I start seeing any kind of Ash fangirl, I will I'm look down on you. Yeah. I'm saying it yeah. right now as the creator and the author. Yeah. I will have a slightly lower opinion of you. Hey, hey. Well, so, so you, you, we're introduced okay. to we're introduced to three main characters. Yeah, let's one. talk about characters that aren't Ash. Yeah, so, I know he's not even in this chapter. Get out of here. Um, so we have Minor Tie, the new yeah. POV one. We have Nalos's brother, and we have Saya, his wife. We have the Chad Nalos and the Virgin Minor Tie. Oh my god, he's married! Yeah, but he still smokes weed and makes his wife mad. So, checkmate liberals! I can't with you. <laughs> Minor Tie. Minor Tie is pretty. I'm trying to find the right word. You won't stop calling him a beta male when yeah. we're not on air. I, I, I was trying not to it. not call him that now because I'm like, there's a better word than he's calling so him that. He's so much more. He is, he is. Yeah. But I, just jokingly, I've been saying that. Yes. I don't like because he's not actually like, that. I punched all of these. Um, yeah, he punched pieces. the lizard guy's <laughs> teeth in, for God's sake. No, I was And busted say. someone's kneecaps. Um, he's not doing the nice guy, like, I got, like, my frequent shopper nice guy card punched this many times, and now I need a girl, now I get a girlfriend. Like, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. one of those guys. Yeah. I don't know, he's very, it's not what you would expect from an elf-like race. Elves he's aren't not like, this, like, he's not Legolas. all-knowing, ethereal, I got this kind of Yeah, mood. yeah. So in Ronick's chapter, we had a small introduction to the Greth, just a mention of that race. Um, Vanel has no idea they exist yeah. or anything with them. Minor Ty's flashback, meeting Saya the first time and rescuing her from Greth, is the first like visual introduction to them. It's very up close and personal, too. Mm-hmm. And so they are a mercenary race from Tuega who... Bale Hewitt used to be at war with, but are no longer, and now the crown is 
hiring them like crazy, selling off the gods Morian's lands to pay for them, and creating all of this goddamn genocide, consequently. Let's talk about Tuwega for a bit. What kind of land is that? What does it look like? Uh, all you have to know about Tuwega for now is that it is a desert country to the north. And that this, the Greth, this reptilian race, they are not the only race that inhabits Tuwega. They are just one of them. They have gotcha. humans and what the hell it's not the lizard people running everything from the shadows correct yeah they are just they're (laughs) pretty much just that they just live to fucking fight be mean it's like if the orcs from mordor if you could like door dash them if you're like (laughs) man i just got like this visual image of like a graph of like one of those door dash bags like coming up to the hat and like like, and they're like hey you didn't get my ranch and it's all (laughs) I asked for chopsticks, bro. I don't Kill your family. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a tip. <laughs> Thank you for being here today, making the trip. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Wow, I gotta say thanks for having me on a podcast. And I know, and thank you for all your insight, too. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it means a lot that you guys take the time to delve into my world. Yeah. So. It's a, uh, I don't know, that's what to say for. I like delving into uh, fantasy worlds, especially if it's one created by someone I know because it's a little more, um, and hopefully people listening to this that don't know the author personally, mm-hmm. hopefully this gives you a little more insight into that. Um, it helps me get imagery a little bit more because I'm pretty bad with picturing <laughs> stuff, just reading words, um, mm-hmm. even though I make D&D campaigns. <laughs> and um, so next week I'll have my other brother, Jonah, the nicest guy in the world, uh, is going to come read chapter five. It's uh, the first chapter from Ash's point of view. So can't wait to see you too. And uh, thanks for stopping by again, guys. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Beautiful. Well, it was impossible to know exactly how long it had been. You're a fucking bitch and you're stupid. Faith sucks ass. And sells butt painting pictures on Etsy. Well, it was impossible to read this fucking chapter with face (laughs) Your first big review was actually from um, my friend, hi Becca, if you're listening to this. Um, I didn't tell you when you brought it up. It was one of the Christmases, I don't remember when, but you're like, oh my gosh, someone I don't know left a big review. I didn't tell her to either. I just gave her the book link and like three weeks later that popped up. And I was like, holy shit, she finished the book. (laughs) Which, um, she's really good about finishing books that she gets into. Um, and then she messaged me a little bit after the review that she's uh, really hyped for book two. And um, asked if there's any things that she can read on the side. Which, um, I'm really bad with keeping up with conversations. There so is. I forgot, yes. to, yeah, I forgot to send her that. Winter Blue is also available on Amazon. It's only about 40 pages long. It's a prequel. Gotcha. Well, there you go, Becca. <laughs> but anyway, um, I just thought it was cool because I've gone back and checked the review since. And I was like, man the plug (laughs) um i don't know and it's just cool to see the audience grow too and um uh, people get excited about the next book no i mentioned it when fran is on last week i was like if just one person was stoked on this and it's like going to bed at night and thinking of these characters that i've had in my head since i was doing you know pe exercises in high school and being like what am i gonna have happen to this person next like if, if that's that's part of it. their life, like that's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Well, how do you come up with character names? 
Um, mm, that's I think a fun answer. <laughs> you've described minor tie before, mm -hmm. but the first time this hit me, I was driving and I thought about crass and cross. Um, cross. There mm -hmm. you go. Cross. I thought about cross and I thought about Greth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, those are very um, cacophonous sounding. Sure. Hard For villainous words. entities. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know if that was on purpose or not, but I myself have a hard time not just using real names and coming up with like you know i do like the mix places. of real names into things something uh -huh. like like mayan like ash um you know yeah. kind of sprinkling some of that in there um but where do you for ones that you've made up um, yeah so go ahead and say some names that you made up <laughs> and where you got it from so a lot of these are ones that i've just straight up had forever and um i remember being middle school high school and just i just made up characters because i started with dnd about that time mm -hmm. just as a player um and i always wanted my character to have a totally unique name and i would sit there and just write down a word and rearrange the letters over and over and over until i had kind gotcha. of something that might work and i might have to add a few letters or something like that but i'd always kind of have an idea of the character i wanted and something to do with them and i would start with that word and kind of work my way but then there's other ones like I remember being in the car trying to come up with a boy character and asking mom like what's a name that's like not a real name that you know and she said Ronick and I was like mom what's said Ronick yes and I said huh. what's that she said it's Connor backwards huh so that's what Ronick wow. is wow she uh, <laughs> she pulled a she pulled a Pokemon with the whole Ekans and snake <laughs> and the uh, yes. uh, Rotom and motor so you know one of my main male characters is because mom turned around in the car and answered a question for a stupid kid wow so. hey shout out to mom real quick actually shout out to all moms <laughs> real quick most answering. moms <laughs> shout out to most moms yeah so hidden anagrams that I don't remember anymore it's been ten years I don't gotcha. know where it came where from, came from. Um, I do put a little more thought into it now i think than i used to like the tenebrae desert in snonka which is all black sand is based on the um tenebriana day beetle species which are known as darkling beetles and are all black oh okay right. so okay. i do things um <laughs> no and then all these characters have like aged and developed into things i needed them to be as i've gotten older too because you know when i was really little coming up with characters all i cared about was sailor moon do you know mm -hmm. what everybody was? A girl. Yeah. Cross was a girl. Nalos was a girl. Cross was a girl. Cross was a girl. Nalos oh, was a girl. I could see that with Nalos. Yeah. But I don't know about with Cross. Yeah. So where'd you come up with the Cross? Because it looks like crass. Like he's very <laughs> crass. I have no idea. You, know, but you don't? It just came out. I and... have drawings of her from middle school. She's, she's still a, a creepy old, like, no, bony... No, it was a blonde chick that wore a sunset-colored dress. That is not correct. Which is, because no. I, I just needed her to be the opposite of, of Delinda. Delinda. Okay, never mind. I was like, hold up, the sun is a little bit of a gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Burn her now! <laughs>